and welcome to Soaring to New Heights. This is your one-stop shop for all things women's footy in the brown and gold. On today's episode, we are going to be unpacking and discussing the new CBA. So by that, we're going to be explaining the important parts of the new CBA before we start to preview the rapidly approaching off-season where we have the pre-signing and trade periods all about to start. And we've just had season eight for the Hawthorne AFLW team conclude. My name is Tim and I'm joined by co-host Liam, who's been scouring the books and doing a hell of a lot of reading. How are you, Liam? Uh, I'm well, Tim. Yes, it did take me back to law school reading that 193-page CBA. But no, I'm looking forward to to this. The CBA unpacking, I'm not going to unpack all the legalities and jargon and all that. You don't need to know about that. Basically, it's just going to be how it impacts the club and the players. So it will be very pretty high level in terms of focusing on what's important. And a lot of that will tie into the off-season as well. And in fact, our pre-signing period starts the day this podcast comes out, being tomorrow at the time of recording, Monday. There we go. So a lot to look forward to in this episode. Very much looking forward to unpacking and discussing the pre-signing period, as we know that there are two potential young guns who are going to be signing on with Hawthorne, where Hawthorne has a few spots, but we will dissect that in a moment. All right. So Liam, the new CBA. As I said, you've trawled through the document, 193 pages, and that's uh, that's what some people would consider fun. I would consider that up there with water torture, but there we go. He's even got the sticky notes that he's showing you, so he's certainly done his homework. So take us through it, Liam. So basically, first thing I'll point out, player pay has gone up, um, as it should. Uh, capital exceed $2 million in 2025, which is when the new TV deal kicks in. All players in 2026 will earn above 70 k with clubs having to use all of the TPP allowance. Um, the total salary cap in 2025 will be about the increase, the, men, the increase in the men's, but that's another story for another day. And as, I, as we put out on the socials earlier today, there is a provision for amendments to be made if the season structure deviates from what's planned. So we'll talk about this a little bit later, but get to the games or watch them on TV next year because not only if we do that enough, we get more games, we also can get the players paid. Yeah, certainly some huge things in terms of that, as you said. Getting the cap going past $2 million is certainly going to be an absolute positive in terms of being able to see players being paid what they deserve and obviously allowing them to become full-time professional athletes, which is something that we absolutely believe is important and something that we hope the AFL continues to strive for with the AFLW players. And I think it's quite interesting there, Liam, when you talk about these amendments in terms of the season structure, because while we do want people obviously getting there and we want to see the changes in terms of games and then also in terms of player payments, we also have to remember when a game is played on Mars at three o'clock in the morning is always difficult for supporters to get there as well. Uh, yes, there are actually provisions in the CBA for that, but that's basically to have meetings to agree that uh, a different metric is used. So I'm not going to go any further into that. You don't need me to unpack that. Uh, contract below there now 12 months, which is good, and can ha- and maximum contract lengths have been removed. So Lucy Wales, Jazz Fleming, Charlotte Biscarin, you can now sign nine-year contracts. They'll be in front of you on Tuesday. Um, you, we talk about full-time, though, and that's interesting because the contact hours, and this is in item eight of the CBA, uh, I think it's in Schedule 5B, but I'd have to double-check that. Um, this season, they had 20 hours in pre-season and in-season, including games. That will go to 22 hours in 2024-25 and then up to 25 hours in 26-27. So they're not going to be full-time in hours, 
but they'll be starting to push towards a pay where most of them will be able to devote their life to it, their work to it full time if they so choose, especially with the fact they're on 12 month contracts paid equally in monthly installments. I think the contact hours is something that as a, a lay person just hearing this, it sounds absolutely crazy because it goes, you know, this year, 20 hours of which the games were included. Now you think about it, I go back to park footy where your game goes for two hours, but you're expected to be there for at least an hour before, hour and a half, yep. two hours before. Plus then you've got your recovery after the game. So realistically, we have to about five or six hours on game day, which then means that throughout yep. the rest of the week, there's not a lot of time that uh, that players are actually allowed to be around the club. And we do know that players do go to the club and, and do some training and that when they're maybe not meant to be there or they go in to do extras when they're, they're not actually asked to do so. So I think that contact hours is a really interesting one, especially seeing that in uh, three years' time, it'll go up those five hours. Yeah. And again, clubs are actually only allowed to train three times a week as well. At the minute. And also the good thing is though, we will find out about seasons a lot earlier because key dates such as the pre-season induction period, the pre-season training, pre-season is still going to be 12 weeks and the season started must all be noticed. We must all be notified of that or the PA must be notified at least four months prior. So if let's say pre-season is going to start in July, in June, we would have to find out in about February or early March, which is good. So the PA will be finding out about things a lot sooner, but we're going to move on now to what you're actually more listening for with regards to this, which is list rules. So they remain at 30 for this season at least, but there's going to be a review in June 2024 regarding list sizes and structures. So potentially for season 10, Tim, we could see, although I wouldn't be holding my breath, a tweak to list structures. I can see the AFL saying... You can have 31 plays. We'll give you that extra one just to be on the safe side, just in case you need it, because we know that clubs don't have any injuries. That never, ever happens. There's no need for top-up players or anything like that. Um, you know, let's think about in the last two seasons that the Hawthorne AFLW team is involved. Been no injuries whatsoever. I mean, there, was, there wasn't that situation where we had five players who were out because of VCE exams, you know, about to finish off year 12. And... Uh, the thought of possibly having to use a top-up, but that didn't happen. Clearly, that was my imagination, Liam. Yeah, well, that, the year 12 issue is not going to be anything anymore, but that was a, a one-off season, poorly managed, granted by the AFL, but that's come, come to be expected. Um, one thing I will say is two clubs actually used top-up players this year, and Collingwood needed one in their, needed them in their emergencies. You know, Richmond and the Dogs used, I think, four top-up players each this year. Yeah, it's not like, and if the season's getting longer and list sizes aren't changing, and by the way, tiered contracts aren't changing either, which I think is a bit of a joke, as my, our views on that are well known. Um, yeah, I don't see how that's really feasible beyond you know an 11-game season next year. Once you push out to 12 and 14, um, you're going to need more bodies on your books. Yeah, look, there's something that you and I definitely agree upon. We definitely need to have... More players on playing lists, and, and obviously we've seen you know, the the caliber of players. I mean, have a look at someone who was playing for Box Hill uh, in terms of the VFLW this year, who's now going to be playing her trade for uh, for Port Melbourne next year in Geordie Mifsud. And you go, well, she wouldn't look out of place playing in the AFLW. So there's definitely players out there who would be able 
to uh, to be on a list and to certainly be able to make a difference this year for the, the Western Bulldogs, Dom Carbone, who played for Hawthorne last year, was one of the top-up players. We know that Dom yep. is a, a calibre player, high-calibre player. We know that uh, that you know, she's able to, to play to the, the standard in terms of AFLW. So, you know, definitely those list sizes should be looked at. Oh, it's a shame that we have to wait until midway through next season, and I'm sure by that stage the AFL will have forgotten about it and will oh, we actually meant 2034 instead of 2024. Yeah, even then, that's only a, that's only an agreement for a review. That's not an agreement for change. So the tiers remain at 2, 6, 6, 16, two tier 1s, 6 of each tier 2 and 3, and 16 tier 4s. Clubs can vary this, or the TPP is calculated off that structure and clubs must remain under the TPP and actually pay all of it. So season length. It's 11 games next season. The metrics, we felt the metrics which were made very difficult to achieve and not published until a couple of weeks to go uh, were not met. So next season will be 11 games. My conspiracy theory is the AFL will make it 12 games next year so they can make a big song and dance about giving us the extra game as opposed to just saying we actually care enough about competitive integrity. Uh, 2025 to 2027 will be 12 round seasons. However, with an average crowd of 6,000 and 100,000 TV audience, that would grow all future seasons after that is hit to 14. And importantly, if there is a, six, a venue with less than 6,000 capacity, going to getting that to 90% will be considered 6,000 for the purpose of that calculation. And the AFL are obliged to use, quote, reasonably commercial endeavours to put games on at times and places to maximize attendance and television. Let's say, I call that the 5 p.m. Friday at Frankston Claws, but let's see if they follow through with that using reasonable commercial endeavors or just occasional half-hearted efforts. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. And I think when you look at that, it just seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot because when you do have games at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon in Frankston, or you know, you have a look at other games that are played either early on a Sunday or, you know, incredibly late on a Sunday. And you think there's all these you know, perfect times. Like, look, look at the AFLW finals. No game played on a Friday night. We literally yep. had Friday night prime time. There's no sport on currently at the moment, except for the, uh, the cricket world cup, you know, and the, the 50 overs. And you think, wow, what a perfect opportunity to put something on to be able to draw eyes, to draw attention. And yeah, the AFL just let that one go through to the keeper. So that's certainly going to be interesting. I think the I think the fourteen game one, that's one that obviously while seeing it in, increase, you know, from ten games to fourteen games is great. You then look at it and it's still an an unfair or unjust uh, yeah. you know, draw that's going and to come out. On fans just to get it to fourteen. Yep. Yeah, and I think with the fourteen games you think who are the three that you miss out on? Is it based on a tier system? You know, if you're in the top top uh, top six, for example, you miss three teams in the bottom six. Is it? How's that going to work? So, I, I think just in terms of the structure of the draw, uh, there needs to be something put in place for that. Yeah. Um. I. I. What I think needs to be put in place is a 17 round season or a plan to get to one. But you know, that seems to be. A future problem, unfortunately. Again, let's just hope we can get those games up, get the players paid more, and you know maybe 
vote with our feet as fans to the AFL, like, hey, take this comp. We take this comp seriously. Time for you to do the same. And just quickly as well, before we move on from that, free agency remains unchanged. It's only for delisted players or players who are offered a tier reduction. Yeah. So I think there's certainly some things in there, Liam, that, that stand out. Obviously, the free agency, I think it's great that obviously you're able to to get players moving to different clubs. Obviously, in terms of list sizes, we know there's only 30 and there's only so many players who can play each and every week. So I think it's great for that free agency to be able to see players moving as well. But we now move on to... Be nice. Be nice if it weren't so limited, though, especially now that you know some players have reached the threshold in the men's where there would be free agents, but in the women's, they're not, even though they've played eight years and are off contract. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. We now move on, Liam, to the part that I'm most excited about. Not that I wasn't excited about listening to legal jargon and, and talking about obligations and things I, like I that. I think but... I did a decent job keeping the legal jargon out of it. <laughs> we now move if on to the off-season. Me, if anyone wants to come and discuss the CBA with me, I do have it tabbed up, annotated, ready to go if anyone wants a good discussion. <laughs> we now move on to the off-season preview, which in itself seems absolutely crazy because we have just seen the first week of the AFLW final series take place. And we're about to start the pre-season in terms of the pre-signing period uh, where for a week, you know, the expansion clubs have the ability to pre-list up to three players. Now, that sounds all fine and dandy, Liam, except for the fact that we've seen two of those teams in the finals. And you think, well... Yeah, one of them is still in there. Exactly. I'm trying to focus on my next round next week in the finals. And hold on, we've got to start thinking about our list for next year and start... Pre- I just think, oh my goodness. Like timing, 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 yeah, timing. No, they have to do it because of when draft nominations open night because these players won't nominate for the draft. But yes, yeah, so that pre-signing period runs from Monday the 13th to Friday the 17th. Of November, and as you said, each expansion club can pre-list up to three players. They must the players must agree to the offer. So, for example, Alyssa Pisano, who's in Hawthorne's NGA zone and could pre-list be pre-listed by Hawthorne, is going to decline from what we've been told, and because she wants to go through the draft, which is fine. She may well actually be around our pick. So, yeah, that's one key thing, and I feel for the Swans. Admittedly, the Swans NGA is also basically their, their Northern Academy, so it's probably players who are a bit more connected to the club directly. So it's probably not as difficult, but it'd be an awkward one, especially with the Swans. I think having to cull, like having two inactives and then and having to drop their list down two spots already, drop another two for the draft at least, and then it's going to be some awkward moments at training, I think, when there's you know, players going around, they're knowing at least probably five or six of them aren't going to be there <laughs> next year. Yeah, yeah, it certainly doesn't make it easy for them, but thankfully it's the Swans and not Hawthorne. So you were saying, Liam, we've got the pre-signing, which takes place this coming week, which is fantastic. Then we move on to the actual trade period. Yeah, so that's the 7th to the 14th of December. To the best of my knowledge, future picks are not available to be traded. So it's only current picks and players. So it's going to be an interesting one seeing how we manage that. Uh, I'm not sure we'll be that active, just thinking where our list is at. And it would be very difficult to get high-caliber players without giving up significant draft capital, which where our list is currently at, I'd be very hesitant to do. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you with that. And then we get to the actual draft. Yeah, that's going to be on the 18th of December. That's a Monday night. Uh, we'll definitely have something going at or around that because that's going to be a really fun night, I think, seeing what we can do. Uh, it's 
a fully, well, it's not a fully national draft. Players have the option to nominate national. We believe majority will. So it's going to be a fairer draft, if you like, and it's going to be really fun actually seeing, you know, what different clubs do. One of us may or may not have got a spreadsheet going with the indicative draft order and all clubs list movements already. Uh, no prizes for guessing which of us that is. And yeah, there's going to be a lot coming through those periods. The draft will be really interesting on the 18th. And then there's rookie signings and supplementary signing periods in the new year as well. So there's a lot happening in the next month. Absolutely. And all I see in terms of that there, Liam, is that early Christmas presents for the Hawthorne AFLW supporters because literally we'll have these new shiny players that are going to be added to our list ready to go for Christmas, which I think is absolutely fantastic in terms of that. And I guess also it's it's great because we know that with the Hawthorne AFLW team, they do have such a great connection with the Box Hill VFLW team. And it means that these players that we can pre-list and, and some players that we'll be able to draft, hopefully we'll be able to see them get some game time at Box Hill where we know they use a very similar game style uh, and being able to fully become involved uh, in the club before the preseason starts. So I think it's a wonderful way of being able to make sure that everyone within the organisation is, uh, is up to speed and ready to go for day one of that preseason. 100%. And some of the players look like that a pre-list have actually played a couple of games for Box Hill and played very well. And there's, that's kind of what got us talking about them. But Tim, we move on to some contracts that we're currently dealing with. And at the time of recording, we haven't received any updates on re-signings for next season beyond who we already know are contracted. So currently, Liam, we have nine players who are contracted for next season. Mackenzie Airdley, we've got Laura Elliott, Emily Everest, Jasmine Fleming, Lucy Wales, Jenna Richardson, Bridge Deed. We've got Tamara Smith and also Talia Fellows who are contracted and signed on for next season. Yeah, so they're the ones who signed two-year contracts in the last sign-and-trade period. Players can now, by the way, that's another thing I should have mentioned, players can now re-sign any time as opposed to just during the sign-and-trade period. Uh, so I think Tim, our first mission is probably let's just start. Um, let's just start announcing some re-signings. Uh, I should also say the contract status of Bodie Bates, Breed, and Stratton. I had as one year on my spreadsheet, but I couldn't verify whether they are one or two year contracts. I can't imagine any of them being delisted anyway. So we'll probably see announcements one way or the other about their contracts very soon. They will all be at Hawthorne next year. I can. I would bet, I'm not a gambler and I would bet significant assets on that. Significant assets I don't have. I will bet Liam's classes on that one. Now, in terms of that, Liam, we've got the uh, the nine players that obviously we know have signed on for, for next year. And then we've got the six players who have departed either through retirement or being delisted. So we know that means that we've actually got 15, so half of our squad, who still, as of this date of recording are in limbo and I say that in inverted inverted commas in terms of those rabbit ears uh, because at at the time of recording they don't have a signed contract that says they will be at Hawthorne for next year we imagine that a fair majority of those if not all of them will be at Hawthorne next year but obviously in, in terms of Tim putting on his pessimism glasses here for a minute it means that there still might be some changes to occur to our list yeah, I'd, I'd probably be surprised at this point, but it, mm, yeah, I just don't know if we want to turn over more than 20% of the list in one off season. 
yeah, no, so something just for us to keep in mind. I will say this, Liam, it was very difficult putting on those pessimist glasses for that uh, 30 seconds just there. So, really? Mine are glued to your face. <laughs> so in terms of what we do going in from here, you said the pre-listings start tomorrow and they go for one week. Yeah, so... Again, we've spoken about Laura Stone and Jess Vukic a couple of times. Stone is a tall midfielder who can also play at halfback. She's really quick. Needs work on her kicking, but is a terrific player. Uh, Jess Vukic is a ruck forward. Probably will be more of a forward at AFLW level just because of her size. And both played for and impressed with Box Hill in the VFLW. In fact, against Darabin on her, in her VFLW debut, Laura Stone received eight coaches' votes, including, I believe, five from one of the coaches, from what I was told. Wow. Yep. Absolutely impressive in terms of that. And we know that players are getting votes at VFLW level. It means certainly they'll be able to hopefully make that step up to the AFLW. Now we, we go in with six list spots, as we know, because we've had the two delisted players uh, who were recently announced in terms of Perko and Janet Baird. And then we've also got the four players who retired. So it leaves us with those six list spots. What about draft picks? Do we have to use all six spots at the draft? Well, we'll have pre-listings. It'll take a couple of those spots off our, off the books pretty quickly, but uh, we have to use at least two draft picks uh, under the rules. And if we carry any over, we can then use them to sign rookies or supplemental supplementary players as well, like supplemental selection period in the new year. So that'll actually be really interesting because we'll know on draft night whether there's any rookies, potentially Irish rookies or other sport rookies we're looking at. Or if there's someone we saw slip through and decided to nab with an SSP. But Tim, I'm going to throw a question to you. What do you think we need in terms of players and player types? And listeners, we'd love your thoughts as well, by the way, on this question. Uh, well, I'm going to say another key forward certainly wouldn't hurt because we know now with Tamara Luke and also Jess Perkins departing the club, we're now left with Bridie Hipwell and Anya McDonough, who are both Absolutely fantastic in terms of the roles they play week in and week out. But you need to have more than just two key tools uh, on a list. And then I look at defense lane and I go, well, Matea Breed played fantastically as a defender. I think she was more influential in terms of that second ruck coming on and helping Pendles out. It wouldn't surprise me if we start looking at, I guess, uh, another ball to go down back to help out. Mackenzie Edley, because Emily Everest, who has played as a defender, was played as a midfielder and also a winger this year. So looks like that's something that they're trying to steer clear from. Yeah, look, size, I have to agree. Like, size has to be really high on the draft board. Jess Vukic will offer that. She's a little bit of a project, especially as a forward. Super talented, but will need a little bit of time, I think. So probably isn't the immediate answer as a forward. That being said, she does bring size to the forward line and can play the second ruck as well as actually very talented ruck. I also would love to see us look at the wings as well. I think that's another area I'd be targeting. And we're not getting into prospects here that much, but Hayley McLaughlin, either as a pre-listing or around our second pick, I think would be a really handy pickup as a specialist winger. I was just looking before, and in terms of uh, Jess Fulkic, she's 179 centimetres. So would automatically pretty much become the second or third tallest player on our list. And that's something that's going to be handy. And you think if you can have a forward line that's able to have Anya McDonough, Bridie Hipwell and Jess Vukic rotating through those positions. I think that's certainly going to be beneficial for us. And then it's also interesting, Liam, that we, we go in with five draft picks. We only have to take the two. 
Now, in terms of the AFL, however many draft picks you have is how many list spots you must have available yeah. at the time. So it's I've quite interesting. Typed, I've just typed that out for the purpose of where, just so we know what we have around. Mm. So we have picks five, pick 26, pick 45, pick 65, and pick 83. Remember, there are PSP picks in there. So, for example, in the middle of the first round, that Collingwood and Brisbane have picks for Malloy and Bates. So there are picks that impact the draft order. But I've just put five in there. As we know how many list spots we have, I'll make a list of this. This is our final selection order kind mm. of thing. Yeah, no, it's just interesting in terms of that because you'd think that the AFL would have similar uh, drafting rules to the AFLW, but clearly, once again... They, they do. That's just how many rounds I could be bothered typing. <laughs> Fair enough. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, if we pick up those two players that we're hoping to pick up this week, then obviously it leaves us with four positions or four spots left going into the draft. And, you know, then we know that there are the the players we can pick up as SSPs and uh, different avenues in terms of being able to put players onto our list. So it's going to be a fascinating watch between now and Christmas time, Liam. And we look at it and we've got about six weeks, seven weeks between now and, and, and that Christmas time period where we're going to see a lot happening in terms of the the makeup of the Hawthorne AFLW list for 2024. Yeah, absolutely. And there's one place to hear absolutely everything about it, and that's Soaring to New Heights. That's it. So this now brings us to the end of this episode. But if you haven't already liked us on our social media channels, please make sure to like and subscribe to us on Twitter and Instagram at HFCSaw or on Facebook at Soaring to New Heights. And also, if you haven't already liked and followed us on your favourite podcast provider, please make sure to click that like, follow, subscribe button. Click that little bell at the top that alerts you to any Soaring to New Heights content that comes out because we here at Soaring to New Heights are your one-stop shop for all things women's footy in the brown and gold. Yep, the season was over far too quick, but we aren't stopping because the sign and trade period is just just beginning. So we'll be covering all of that off-season content here at Soaring to New Heights. If you've got any ideas for us over the longer off-season, let us know. We've had some creative ones come through. There's a few fun ones we've got loosely planned or just in the works. We're working through award shows and best and fairest and awards and all and uh, season reviews and all that. That's all. We got a lot to do before Christmas. I think we're going to be busy people. But don't worry, we'll, we'll give you all your content. We are here to cover everything to do with women's footy in the brown and gold. In terms of talking Hawks, they've got a load coming out around the draft for the men at the moment, so do check out what they're doing as well. Tim and I do a bit of work over there. And Tim, before we call it a night, is there anything else? No, very much looking forward to hearing what Soaring to New Heights fans think that we might need in terms of list positions over the next seven weeks. If there's players that they've got an eye on or players that they think would be quite Handy in terms of our list, in terms of being able to be influential. And we know we look at this season when we picked up Mateo Braden, we also put Christy Stratton on, onto our list and how much of an influence and impact those two players have had. So it's going to be interesting to see whether Mitch Casson and the other uh, people in terms of our list management at the Hawthorne AFLW team are going to be able to continue to select these incredibly high-caliber players. No doubt they will. This brings us to the end of this episode of Soaring to New Heights. And until next time, Hawks fans, go the Hawks.